Hi, and welcome back to the Outsource Accelerator podcast. Today, I am talking to Chris Mueller. He is the head of sales at Booth and Partners. I did have a conversation previously with Carmen Booth. She is the CEO and co-founder of the firm. So go back and listen to that one as well. It was a great conversation. With Chris, we have a far-ranging conversation. Booth recently uh, has passed a lot of really exciting milestones. They turned 10 years old, which is great. They have reached the 1000 employee mark, which is a fantastic milestone. And they've also just expanded to Columbia, which again is, is fantastic to see. So really exciting stuff happening at Booth. I had a really great conversation with Chris and we talk about very sort of broad stuff, talk about globalization and staffing and, uh, you know, very broad range. So I really enjoyed the conversation and certainly learned a lot. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish Inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. So Chris, it's a really great year for Booth and Partners. There's a lot going on. You're seeing a lot of great expansion um, and it is now your 10th year in business. So really, really exciting. Only a fraction of companies ever make it do, you know, a couple of years into business. So it's really, you know, a, a fantastic thing to make it to the 10 year mark. Congratulations. Yeah. We can start with Thank that. Thank you. Um, but Thank you. Yeah. yeah. What are you, what are you seeing in the, in, in Booth and Partners? Um, it's been fun. I mean, you're right. I've been involved in a number of, of startups and uh, growing companies, restructuring companies, and not all companies make it to the 10th anniversary. So we're proud of that. And I think more so, and this is going to maybe sound a bit cheesy, I think we're really excited about the impact that we've had and that we see in, in our clients and with our employees. So we're, you know, we're coming up on a thousand employees at the moment, you know, another hundred or so in recruitment. So we're growing fairly well. And it's, uh, you know, it's, 
I'm a numbers guy, but it's the lives that you touch. And um, that really, if you're doing things well, you're giving opportunities to people to to grow personally and professionally and and add value to the clients that we have around the world. And, and that's exciting. And that comes across when you're meeting people in you know, the hallway and uh, at the Christmas party. And, and uh, well, we just had the spring, uh, spring picnic yesterday and those sorts of activities when you just see the gratefulness that people have working with, uh, with good companies, you know, an outsource accelerator is one of them. You've grown really well. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I've told you that quite a number of times and it's exciting to see, even in this last year, all the change that that OA is going through with the OA 500, um, you know, becoming a global brand now and getting more well known in other continents, uh, you know, kudos to you and to your team. Yeah, thanks. It's it's always this uh, challenge of growth, isn't it? You know, and I, I don't know if it ever really abates or get gets easier. With, with you know, Booth being a thousand people now, that that is really great scale for the BPO industry. It's you know, it it's not huge, of course, but for any other kind of company um, across the world, that that is a really kind of monstrous company, isn't it? Have you noticed any difference with Booth in terms of scale? You know, everyone says when we get to X or Y or Z, it's going to be a lot easier because we're at scale and, you know, things get better. Um, have you noticed that with Booth? Like, is is there any sort of magic in, in the number 1000 or do you just see it as another day at the office? That's an interesting question. I think what makes what makes life maybe a bit easier is that in order to get to a thousand employees, in order to get to the tenth year, it really means that we've been doing things well. So therefore, the base is set. So you're not trying to reinvent the wheel like like you are at the beginning of a of a new business venture where you're figuring things out and you're scrambling to resolve issues and get stuff done and convince people that you're worthy of their 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 love and attention. And now that we've kind of grown up and matured and therefore it just makes it easier to, for us to, to do the basic stuff really well. And the challenge now, of course, and you know, in all the, the OA emails that, that, that we receive every week um, and for, you know, for the members of the audience that aren't already subscribed, I recommend subscribing because there's lots of fantastic information there. Um, it's, you see the challenges that, that are facing the world in terms of population. So, you know, they're, they're one of the big topics nowadays is, um, India's, you know, passed the population of China. Um, well, this this year it'll be uh, India passing the population of China and Hong Kong together. Um, and so China is going to go from 1.4 billion people that they're currently at down to 800, 900 million over the next few decades. That's a dramatic change, mm-hmm. you know, as India is in in ascendance and uh, and growing, and they'll they'll hit their peak around 2050. And you've got the developed world which has got populations that if it's not for immigration, you know, I'm here in Canada, if it wasn't for immigration, we would just be maintaining status quo. In Canada, we're about 40 million people and we're, the government plans to bring in a half million people per year in order to keep the population growing. But all of this implies that there is a severe demand for talent locally. And so, you know, we're, we're having to look further and further away in order to find the talent that we need to support the businesses, which may be, a hundred years ago, this was, you know, you know, I had to look from to the next town to find the right blacksmith to work with me, you know, the right apprentice. Um, mm. And then that became different and you had to go county and statewide and province-wide. And now we're, you know, working with people in other parts of the world, just like they're across the city from us, you know, with all the technology that's available. So I think that that's, it's an exciting challenge that the world's facing. 
And for our industry, obviously, it's very much blue ocean because it's it's in huge growth mode. Yeah, it's it's incredible, isn't it? How you know connected and globalized we really are becoming. And as you said, like most developed countries are in a negative birth rate now. Like a lot of the uh, developed countries are only reproducing at about one point three which means a negative birth rate so they need the immigration but also you know there's just not the the staffing to cover the required growth so it's likely to bleed over into international workforce um so it's it's going to be fascinating isn't it you know and what i what i find is profound before is you know to have a to have a workforce and to have an economy they had to be immigrants and they had to be sitting in the country whereas you know canada now with a population of 40 million could in theory have a migrant worker population of 200 million without needing to house them without needing you know so so it could right. it could employ another 200 million people from india from colombia from the philippines without actually needing to sort of strain or stress its social systems, its housing, its environment. Um, so it's going to be yeah. weird to see how that plays out sort of economically. Um, but of well, course, people yeah. have got to get used to this sort of global employment concept as opposed to just localized employment. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, you know, obviously, um, so many people have talked about it, the shift that happened during COVID, uh, the COVID quarantine, where even now we're only in 2023. And to look back only a few years ago at the dramatic, the, the dramatic uh, world setting in 2020, um, which is hard to imagine. I can only imagine it's similar to some people who look back and lived through the Second World War or, or that sort of thing. And they say, oh, it was such an amazing experience. And 100 years later, we're forgetting about it. But I, I find that, I find that, the notion of global employment, as you know, which is which is your the concept that, that, that I learned from this from you, um, is really holding true. You know, I'm coming back from 22 years living overseas in Asia and in Latin America, uh, and even you know looking into uh, the way relationships are. I mean, I don't know if you know that in Canada, one in four. Uh, sorry, one in three is an immigrant in Canada. So uh, about 40% of the total population is either immigrant or firstborn. And so even people that are here are bringing their culture and their experiences from other parts of the world. And so for the, the people that are here in Canada to make a decision to work with people in other countries, is much easier because the exposure has already been there. You know, there's already a, a, an understanding of, well, there are good people in other countries that, can, that have a service mentality. Now, the Philippines is a great example where, where you are today. You know, it's a, it's a culture based around, you know, happiness and, and, and being, uh, providing good service. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of education. There's smart people. So why not tap into that type of thing? But this is the irony, isn't it? Like, it, it, to, to me and you and anyone in the industry, it's, it is so obvious. And the wins are so big. Um, but yet general sort of understanding of outsourcing, general adoption of outsourcing and acceptance of outsourcing is so, so low. Why do you see that big delta between, you know, the kind of the obvious nature of the benefit versus the understanding of really the benefit and how it works? I think the, 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 the basic idea that I can hire somebody somewhere else for cheaper um, generates some concerns, uh, natural concerns. 
that are maybe sometimes a bit old school because we haven't been exposed to it for such a long time. Uh, one of the basic ones would be, well, how do I know if that person is working? I mean, you probably hear that quite a lot. Well, how do I know if that person is working? And I always tell people, this is in kindergarten. We're not, we're not working with um, you know, children. We're working with professionals who have shown in their previous uh, jobs that they have been able to provide results and work properly. So you know, that's the first, the first concept. I'm an adult, you're an adult, and we're all adults in the room, so we should be able to do this properly. And then the second notion is, okay, so if I accept that somebody somewhere else can do work and do, do that, how do, I, how do I coordinate the communication um, in such a way that I don't offend them with cultural differences? You know, sometimes people are concerned about, well, if I'm only paying that person this amount of money, which here in Canada, as an example, is not enough, it's below poverty line, um, you know, how can I feel good about it? And as you've said a number of times on, on other podcasts and as uh, the OE emails keep repeating, the cost of living in different countries is very different. So it's not, we, sh- we shouldn't feel bad that we're paying somebody less if that allows them to live much better. You know, it's the notion of global employment is that we're giving opportunities to other people to raise their standard of living, theirs, their families, and, and therefore the the, the corner store in the neighborhood and the you know the food stalls and all that everybody starts to get a bit of bit more piece of the of a pie that's growing larger and larger so yeah I'm a big fan of outsourcing generally because I've lived around the world I've seen the talent I've seen the culture and uh, it's just a matter of people getting more and more used to it so mm. you know, one and of the things how, that how you do, do is how, how do you see people's awareness grow like in the time that you've been working in it. You know, sort of ten years ago, it was people were really closed off to the concept, and now they're quite open. But, but sort of functionally, is it has, has it been a sea change, or is it really just you know sort of small improvements, increments? No, I think it's. I personally think that we're at an inflection point, um, you know, or the tipping point. I think you, you made a reference to Malcolm Gladwell recently in one of your communication pieces, and uh, I'm, I like I like him as an author, and, and I've read his books. You know, the notion that the large companies that have the resources and are able to take risks because, um, you know, as an example, a, a global corporation deciding to offshore manufacturing. So when they started doing that, that was you know a big deal, and now it's become commonplace. And the idea of hiring people overseas to do service work, uh, which you know began in companies in countries like India and, and the Philippines, is now extremely well known for this. So. Now that that's grown and grown, people are more aware of, of the, the notion of the concept, sorry, and are able to tap into the model. And they know people who know people who have done it. And so I think that's a big thing. Australia as, an, as a market, you have a lot of contacts in Australia, a lot of friends in Australia. And in Australia, because of the labor shortage and the high cost of living, the idea of outsourcing is much more generally accepted. You know, it might be proximity, geographical proximity, you know. It's in the same area uh, as the Philippines, as an example. Whereas in North America, we're somewhat up the curve. And in Europe, I think they're probably below the curve. Uh, they're just, they haven't, maybe because of restrictions or because of uh, the way the culture works there or the distance, they haven't adopted the idea of, of uh, outsourcing to other countries. I'm thinking language is probably a big issue as well, because in North America, you know, services provided in English and Spanish and French, and those are common common services that we can get talent for overseas. Yeah, yeah, it's 
it's all evolving, isn't it? But, you know, I suppose when we are in the industry, it seems at a snail's pace. But I suppose if you, um, you know, step back a few degrees, then maybe this whole thing is happening at lightning speed, you know, because it only has to be a quarter of a generation or half a generation, and then things change incredibly quick. And I, I do wonder, you know, sort of fast forwarding into the future, when the millennials and the Gen Zs of the world become the entrepreneurs, become the employers and the hiring managers, what they're going to think about standard employment, you know, and they're growing up in a digital environment and they're used to sort of, you know, chatting and Slack and forums and stuff like this and and sort of remote kind of existences. So it'll be interesting to see, I think, you know, it, and it will only be sort of 10 to 20 years in that global employment will become the default. And then I think that there will be a sort of seismic shift in how these economies kind of work. Yeah, I don't know if that's being yeah. hyperbolic. No, I think um, a lot, if you, know, you look at tendencies in history of how things, the impact of things, um, what did the internet make possible and what did the train make possible before that and the plane, you know, so the technology around the high quality remote communication um, platforms, such as the one we're using now to, to do this uh, podcast, just changes the paradigm around the ability to coordinate work with somebody else. You know, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the beer, which people say it's an IPA, you know, so what does IPA stand for? It stands for India Pale Ale. So I'm sure there's people that are listening to this podcast going, well, it's a, now we're going to talk about beer instead of outsourcing. But why was IPA created? It was created or was developed so that the beer would last the full journey on the ship from England to India. And that's what it was, India Pale Ale. It had to last the duration of that voyage. And, you know, why did they have dried and salted meats before that? Because it had to last the whole voyage. Nowadays, we're simply complaining about a 14-hour flight across the ocean. And as, you know... Companies such as Boom Supersonic, which is developing the next Concorde, as that becomes technology that's common, uh, a more common use over the next 20, 30 years, the idea of offshoring to other parts of the world will just become easier to accept because even getting together in person every once in a while will become easier. Um, mm. You know, outsourcing and outsourcing and nearshoring, offshoring and nearshoring, you know, those are concepts that you've talked about in Outsource Accelerator. You know, why why do people do nearshoring? Sometimes it's simply because it's easier to get to, rather than it's necessarily the best talent or or the best value. But it's a you know it's a geographical thing. Sometimes it's a cultural thing as well. That's one of the reasons we opened in in Colombia. Actually, our new operation, we did that in in an effort to um, get people to have the opportunity to have Spanish English bilingual services, uh, same time zone alignment. Um, and it's you know it's easier to get to for clients, so there's that plus all the talent that there is in Latin America. Yeah, that's really really exciting for Booth. I mean, congratulations! So your all of your teams previously were in the Philippines, uh, and you've expanded to Colombia. It's 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 no mean feat, is it, to to open up in a new country and to build the operations there and to you know learn and understand how those countries work, the employment and. Um, getting everything working. So how has that journey been? And um, you were obviously responding to the growing demand, as you mentioned, to to nearshoring, to Spanish speaking uh, and things like that. Yeah, clients, you know, it comes up in conversation um, that people are looking for for that those kinds of services. And 
Um, tech tech roles in particular, they're you know top tech talent. It's hard to come by all over the world. So we wanted to be where there was a, a growing uh, tech uh, market. Lots of people are being educated and uh, and trained how to do a lot of the new software down there. So that's that was one of our main interests. And you know, to the point about opening the operation, the logistics of uh, managing the bureaucracy and and all the <laughs> the things that are required by authorities. That's just a simple matter of timeline. The challenge is going to be for, for us to develop our brand in, uh, in the local talent market so that people that are really strong candidates are interested in working with us. Um, obviously, they can go onto our, our website and, uh, and see everything we've already become in the Philippines, uh, which is a great track record for them to see where we're going in Colombia. Um, and it's just a matter of time for us to get as well known there and in Colombia with the, the talent market. Not so much the clients, which are you know, jumping at the bit. It's more, uh, it's more the talent that we want to make sure that they're attracted to us for the right reasons. And how different is it dealing with these different markets? I mean, you know, I know Philippines inside out. I've been living here nine years. And to me, it, it's just a walk in the park, setting up here, getting staffing here. But, but it, I, it's just because I'm familiar. And then if I went into a new domain or territory, it you're really kind of starting from scratch with all of the basics again. How much of a learning curve was it for you guys, considering you are already, you know, staffing experts and have the scale and experience? Well, we had the good fortune to um, find somebody to be country manager who is, you know, from Latin America, and she has a lot of knowledge on how things are, are working generally in uh, in that part of the world. And so that's helpful. Then, of course, Bureaucracy in the Philippines, which is where you know we've spent the last nine and a half years, um, our exposure to that sets us up for the patience required to deal with bureaucracy in other parts of the world. Uh, and it, actually, Colombia is very well set up. So as a you know, they have their own um, quasi-governmental authorities that are promoting the country and uh, helping countries to set up uh, companies to set up. And it's been very helpful in that aspect. And lots of the larger outsourcing companies are already set up there. So it was just natural for us to be considering that market. We, we evaluated all the countries in Latin America and uh, narrowed it down finally to the top four. And Colombia was the one where we decided that was the best fit for us. Mm. And how have you found the response? I, I tend to find, because obviously, you know, we cater to BPO partners all across the world. And I didn't quite realize the brand cachet of the Philippines. I think now people are very used to the concept of Filipino staff, Filipino VAs, um, you know, things like that. And it has quite a, um, quite an incredible yeah. brand cachet. Do, do you find that you have to really sort of earn the trust more with different nations um, as, yeah. you, as you head into them? I think, um, I mean, com- country, definitely the Philippines is uh, very well known. At this point in time, you know, the last 10 years has been a huge boom for the industry. And, uh, you know, the, the new president uh, there has really recognized the importance of the outsourcing industry to to uh, the GDP, the economic growth, and, the, you know, lifting people out of poverty and giving people the opportunity. And there's such a strong educational system and educational culture in the Philippines that that really leads into it. In uh, other parts of the world, it's not the same set of conditions and sometimes if there are the same conditions, the issue is the country brand. Um, Colombia has been going through that for you know, also the last 10 years. Uh, I just came from 20 years in Latin America. So 
Conway has been you know, done a 180 from when uh, back in back a, a number of years ago when they were dealing with their internal issues. So at the moment, they're uh, they're they're really becoming much more well known for um, higher developed goods and, and services, and that's great for the economy. You know, they're producing I think 13,000 um, university graduates per year. Um, they're producing you know thousands and thousands of tech roles, uh, not tech roles, of, of people who are um, who have developed their their tech skills there. The industry is becoming uh, much more uh, well known uh, as part of the economy in Colombia. So yeah, it was I don't want to say it was a no brainer because we really did our homework before choosing Colombia, but we're very comfortable that that's going to be uh, a great platform for us to provide services to our clients, our existing clients who have been asking, plus new clients have been reaching out since we, we sent out the news. Well done. Well done. And any sort of high level comparisons between the two in terms of costs and I don't know, sort of labor laws and um, work ethic and things like that. I know some of that can get a little bit controversial. Yeah, there's some some minor aspects. Uh, remote work uh, by law in, the, in Colombia, you're required to provide uh, desk and chair. You know, they've, they've gone to a very detailed level of, of requirements, uh, which is not an issue. Um, it's just that's established in legislation, which isn't the case in the Philippines, as an example. Cost-wise, it depends on the role, but the difference isn't so notable. Um, there are some things that we've found, and I keep coming back to tech roles as an example, but there are software platforms um, that are more common in Colombia than they are in the Philippines. So an example that might resonate with the audience is um, Monday.com, which mm-hmm. is a CRM which does lots of advertising. So Monday.com is well-known in Australia, but there isn't a huge talent pool in the Philippines, um, whereas in Colombia there is. It's much more well-known, and so there's, it's easier to find um, people to support money.com in, in Colombia than it is in the Philippines. Interesting. Fascinating, huh? And it's, it's yeah. funny how there's all these different sort of idiosyncrasies across the world for different staffing and different kind of cultural aspects. Um, do you see a future where, you know, people are... Um, picking from different countries like a sort of lunch buffet, you know, they kind of go to India for the mathematical and science talent and Eastern Europe for the devs and, you know, and, and various countries. Or do you still see that there's better, like sort of benefit in having yeah. a team in one place um, for the sort of homogeny? Yeah, I understand. Um, for some roles, definitely as an example, um, English language, you know, Philippines is well known for uh, for their Americanized English, which just jives very well with the U.S. market. Um, Britain, as an example, they're much more comfortable working with the Indian market because it's British English. So there's, you know, there's that sort of cultural history there that makes sense for people to be working in certain different markets. In terms of tech roles, where it's not as relevant. Um, Working with somebody in one place and another place and building a team in different countries just makes sense. That's something that our clients have started to look at now where they have teams with us in the Philippines. And now that we've launched Colombia, they're saying, okay, well, let's add some roles in Colombia, either for time zone alignment or for you know just uh, business continuity purposes to have them in different places. Um, it's not really for cost. It's just for some you know, other factors that are important to them uh, when they're doing their evaluation. So I think that... When a, when a part of the world becomes more well-known, like you said, Eastern Europe, which is something that we're considering uh, in the near future, when, when it becomes well-known for certain roles, 
then that develops more interest from candidates to study that. And there's more candidates in the talent market. And therefore, there's more people that are interested in hiring from that, uh, that part of the world. You know, OA is, you know, as an example, OA, you, you say that OA is the Alibaba of outsourcing, which is a cultural reference, which makes lots of sense in the Philippines. But it, it doesn't make so much sense in Canada, as an example, because Alibaba isn't, isn't a reference point. It isn't as well known. Yeah, um, yeah. So that, you know, as an example, but as the world gets smaller and smaller, these things will just become easier and easier. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And with your, you know, again, congratulations, incredible growth. As you mature as a company, like you are generalist in nature and a lot of outsourcing firms are generalist in nature. They can pretty much take on, you know, any role because it's kind of a staff augmentation. But have you settled into certain pathways where you've found efficiencies or you're particularly good or you know there's a big market out there are are you finding particular pathways where you're doubling down on and wanting to focus on yeah that's a it's a good question um i get that asked a lot when i'm meeting with you know potential clients for the first time that want to know our focus or the port you know the breadth of our of our offering and this is going to sound cheesy um but so, you know, some com- some companies are focused on specific uh, uh, industries. They're focused on specific roles, and we're kind of focused on our clients. We're not kind of we're focused on our clients. So, what that means for us is we're looking to make it easy for a, a company to join us. So, you know, the, you know, we just have a minimum of one employee, one full time employee. You start, they start with us. They get to learn. Uh, how outsourcing works if they're new to outsourcing. They get to learn how Booth and Partners works and how we add value during the you know the process, and then they grow their teams with us because they see the advantages of uh, of outsourced talent. And so they may start with us in a you know a, a low hanging fruit role such as customer service or admin support, and then when they realize that this is quite easy, then some other part of the company says, "Well, can you provide accounting support or?" or tech to software development or marketing or you know, those sorts of things? And the answer is yes. You know, as long as we can find candidates in the local talent market, we will do the recruiting and we'll, we'll do that in a very good way. We're not about speed dating. You know, it's really important to do that part of the process well um, so that people stick around for the long time. You know, our claim to fame in the marketplace is that we are good at the little things in such a way that people... You know, employees and clients stick around for years, and I think that's important for you know mm-hmm. for for people when they're doing their evaluation. It's not about initial cost savings; it's about the stability that doing this well, the stability that that provides the client in terms of their their workforce. Yeah, and it, it's sort of um, expectations versus reality in a lot of this, isn't it? Because you know, you're you're in sales and you're selling the dream, and I do that as well. You know, probably a little bit extreme in that I say this is an incredible solution. It, it's amazing and you get great staff and you save so much money. But in reality, it's not quite like that. Like It's difficult to employ people and find the right staff and to get operations working well. All of these things are really difficult, aren't they? So do you, you know, and, but that's, that's life, that's reality, that's business that's right. and you actually yeah. can't escape that. But do you sometimes see, you know, as people come off the honeymoon period and realize actually this is just sort of business as usual. It's not this sort of panacea that maybe, I don't know, it, it's yeah, kind no. of being sold. I, to yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and, um, 
you know, I was in a meeting yesterday with a committee of executives from a large company, and and we're talking about it. And I and I said, I, I my goal isn't to to sell this. I'm educating, um, and you know, explaining things of how we work and how outsourcing can be of service to to you and support your company as you grow, whether we're the right fit or not the right fit. You know, it's about being transparent, and the experience that in this particular case that company had is they've worked or they're working with other BPOs. There are other companies such as Booth and Partners and they're, um, they're frustrated. And, and, you know, sometimes it's because a, a company can't offer the same um, portfolio of roles or they're, they can't offer uh, specific roles. And, and I think that that's where being a generalist comes into play. Um, you know, coming back to OA, you know, thinking to how OA was, uh, a number of years ago versus, you know, the size of OA now, the offices that you have and and the technology that you've been able to incorporate, the news and PR team that you've been able to, to build out in this in the last 12 months. You've done that in such a way that you've, you know, I'm sure you've faced hurdles as you've, as you've gone through the, uh, the growth. But now that you've got the team in place, the honeymoon period isn't over. This is now the comfort of a strong marriage, a strong relationship. Where obviously performance is required, you know the company has to has to perform to its uh, staff, and the staff have to perform to the company. But there is an understanding of how things are flowing, the internal and external communication flows. People are more independent; they're more proactive; they're more they require less supervision; they're more responsible. So, in that sense, the work flows easier, which is why we're we think that it's important for. Country, companies to be looking at long-term value of the stability of the of the workforce because the industry is known for for a high turnover but I think that that's an outdated um, model that that isn't reality for most outsourcing companies today we all understand the value of providing the right talent early on so that they stick around for years yeah yeah it's it's interesting is it and, and it is really there's no escaping it because a lot of um, business today and entrepreneurship, it's all about the quick wins, isn't it? And kind of people want to raise money and exit in two or three years. But actually, it's about doing the hard work. And it's about, you know, building solid teams and building loyalty and looking for long term kind of results. Um, and and maybe that's, is that is that a harder conversation? You know, because again, there's everyone wants the magic pill to lose weight. Um, but uh, yeah, do, do people sometimes get a little bit disappointed when when you bring them a reality check on what it's like to build a team um no it hasn't really been our experience and i think the best way to to back that statement up uh, is you know our clients the clients that join us um nearly everyone is still with us (laughs) over the the last no near you know nine and a half years that we've been around um we have most of our clients are still still working with us um, some clients, what they have had is their business orientation has changed. You know, they've they've maybe um, taken some teams and made them smaller and in increased resources in other teams. You know, according to the needs of the company at that point in time, which is normal. You know, that's all companies should be doing that to to maximize the value of the resources that they've invested in. Um, but no, I don't feel that our clients are going through a honeymoon period and then they're let down. I think we're really transparent from the get-go, and that's a it's a positive, and people are aware of how things are supposed to be. Um, and then you know, we all, I always say, and, and I, I think I don't think I'm the only one in the industry that says this, but I always say we make it easy to join us 
And we make it easy to leave us because that's how confident we are that it's not likely to happen, um, mm-hmm. at least not because of poor service on our side. And uh, it's just it's just about being genuine and then following through, underperforming and uh, underpromising and overperforming. And what are you seeing in terms of trends of office-based versus home-based now? And, you know, obviously there's been a dramatic change over the last two years, but also where do you see it going over the next kind of 10 years? Yeah, such a difference um, from two years ago and from even a year ago. Mm. The idea that um, these, the downtowns, the big office towers are going to um, be empty forever, is that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, do you think that? Nature, yeah, I do. I think I think uh, you know remote work is here to stay. You know the notion of global employment is here to stay. But if you're building up your team and you you know you're let's say you start with uh, one and you you get to a team of ten, you would probably like that team of ten to have the ability to get together somewhere. So hybrid work where they have the you know to go in once a week or or a few days a month. Um, in order to get the benefits of working side by side and saying, you know, how do you handle this situation? It doesn't come up the same o- over remote work. Um, that said, the vast majority of the people that are working in Booth and Partners are working remotely. And those that are going to the office are the minority and, and uh, most of them are hybrid. Um, but there are particular employee, uh, um, clients that prefer that model because of the advantages of people sitting side by side. And we measured our productivity. I'm sure it was the same with you and for many of the partners, the OA partners. Our productivity went up 16% when we moved everybody from the office to remote. Um, you know, and, and again, we come back to one of the things I said at the beginning of the, the podcast. This isn't kindergarten. You know, mm. we're, not, we're not providing you with, with people who have no experience. We're providing candidates that have already proven their abilities in previous jobs to get stuff done. So we're all adults in the room, and as long as we treat each other that way, it's a fantastic uh, way to support business growth. Mm. And there's an inevitable trajectory towards more remote, would you say? But yet you still think that there's going to be a big demand, well, a sufficient demand to fill the office blocks in cities? So so how many people are in the world right now, Derek? What's the population today? Eight billion, eight, approximately. Eight billion. Uh-huh. And the according to the UN and other projections, where are we going to top out at the end of the century? Sure, yeah. Just under 10. Just under 10. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, but, but I mean, like, I, I don't think Canada's going to grow unless it, you know, I don't think the U.S. No. is going to grow. I don't think. But it's all proportional. So if we're going to add yeah. 2 billion people to the overall population and urbanization is a trend that is not going to change, um, more and more people are going to cities, then the existing infrastructure is certainly going to be used. I'll give you an idea with housing prices here. And you mentioned it that Canada has a population of 40 million could have access to 200 million uh, workers overseas. And that's absolutely right. Um, but there are still going to be a need for people to be doing some jobs in person, right? So, you know, the building houses, there's a shortage of housing here. And so even with this bringing in a half a million people, it's still going to be a need. What the, what the focus, I think, is going to be on in high developed countries is people are going to be doing the work that is required to be done in person. So, you know, construction cannot be outsourced remotely. But we provide um, CAD designers and we provide estimators and project managers and support staff to that can all be done remotely for a construction company, right? But the actual construction of the building is going to have to be done locally. So 
the, the, the remote outsourcing model uh, or the global employment, as you say, is going to be common when, whenever and wherever it can be done through technology, which is more and more roles these days. Mm. What are your thoughts on the healthcare system? Like they can't find any nurses, they can't find any doctors. And, um, yeah. you know, that, that's one of those unique ones where they need so much physical presence. But I, I think that there's, you know, there's just such a need that Filipino nurse, well, nurses worldwide can potentially help out in that, you know, can we, can we get them assisting remotely? Can we get them taking parts of the workload remotely so that it frees up the nurses on site? Um, have you, yeah. you know, what are you seeing on the ground in Canada? And have you had any thoughts on that? Yeah, there are, there, there's a certainly a huge shortage of nurses and doctors and uh, medical frontline staff here in Canada, as in most developed countries. Um, you know, the tragedy is that we actually have quite a number of people from other countries already in Canada that are not able to navigate efficiently the, the process, the bureaucratic process, um, to get licensed to work here as nurses or ER nurses or that sort, of, that, that sort of thing. So it's really frustrating that way. There are a number of agencies in the Philippines that that promote that. Um, and if the governments in developed countries were more efficient, then we would, we would, we would certainly be better off. In the Philippines, I'm not sure if you are aware, but you know the impact that that has on on the Philippines is it raises the the, the prices, the salaries of nurses in the Philippines because the, you know if they're able to get uh, employment elsewhere, earning better wages, then employers in the Philippines are forced to compete, and I think that that's a great thing, you know, for the mm -hmm. Filipino community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it is you know that's that's. Um, world trade and economics, isn't it? You know, when there's demand, yeah. it'll, everyone will benefit. Uh, and right. yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating to watch. But you know, within any system, there's these sort of imbalances, isn't there? You know, like generally the flow will go this way, but then you know you'll see it um, ebb and flow within individual sectors. So it's fascinating to watch these things all wash out. I suppose you know, last question. I mean, we can sort of start to wrap, but. Um, what do you see about, you know, I see a clear path towards globalization and everyone becoming one sort of unified, I don't know if that's too sort of um, kind of mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. utopian of me, but but there's a large push towards um, independence and, you know, deglobalization and there's strife with China and all these political tensions. Do you, do you see that as sort of upsetting the, the trajectory or do you just see it as sort of temporary kind of blips or how do you see things play out i i'm an optimist by nature so i'm going to call this a temporary blip um when i was in in university you know a few years ago one of the papers that i did was a study on does interdependence promote peace economic interdependence does that promote peace so as countries become more and more intertwined does that promote the notion that people are going to um be, be uh, less less prone to conflict. Uh, and I think overall, the answer is yes. I mean, if you look at the last 50 years um, of world history, the conflicts have been um, more brutal in nature, but also more limited in scope versus, you know, the last two, 3,000 years of history where uh, conflict was more widespread. And so I, I do think that, that that's the case. And as we become a smaller planet and more easily able to travel and learn about other cultures and um, work with people in other parts of the world and our the barriers that or the, the prejudices that we may 
be raised in uh, knowingly um, towards different parts of the world come down, you know, as immigration exposes us to ways of dress and cultures and different celebrations and ways to see things. And uh, I think that that just automatically is going to not lead us to hopefully be all the same. That would just be so pathetically boring, but um, to be more understanding of, of how things work. So I'm definitely, a, a, I'm a, I'm, I believe that in the long-term history is going to continue this trend um, over mm-hmm. the, you know, the next 50 years. And it'll be an exciting time to be alive and building businesses and, and, uh, and working with people. I really believe that. It's funny that was your thesis or whatever, but, um, you know, they say you either trade money or bullets, you know, like, and, you know, right. if you're if you're interconnected, then then it's harder to wage war. But but apparently there's quite a lot of academic argument against that, you know, like apparently wasn't Germany and the UK the biggest trading partners of each other before Second World War or something? And, you know, apparently yeah. there's, there's quite a lot of evidence against that. But to me, I don't know... It, you know, it just seems so logical that if you're all working together, then it's hard to to sort of fight well, think, each other. But I think the the key is to look thing look at things over um, macro. Like if you have a small data set, you know, you talk about meta data meta data points for your OA five hundred listing, which is very fantastic. I'm I'm very excited that we're number two hundred forty six on the inaugural list. We're top ten percent of outsourcing companies in the whole world. That's a uh, that's, that's really great for us, and it's achievement for Outsource Accelerator to get that done. And so you understand from that experience that the importance of having a large data set in order to look at things that are not outliers. So the example you, you made uh, between Germany and Great Britain, you know, maybe that's an outlier, outlier in the history of the world. Um, certainly when we go over the last few decades, the, the conflicts are, you know, as I said before, brutish but limited in scope. And the vast majority of the world is still, you know, living in relative harmony uh, compared to the long history of civilization. And uh, and I don't see any reason for that to continue. It's in our nature to threaten, maybe, but it's in our nature also to, you know, self-preserve. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, really. And I, I think that the macro, if you zoom out, it's so obvious, isn't it? And it's so inescapable. Yeah. And I think, you know, all these kind of, you've got to protect each of your country's interests, but... I just sort of think if it's in contravention of this ultimate sort of globalization, I think it's almost like trying to battle mother nature and the tides sort of going in and out. Like it's, um, it's quite incredible, but, but you know, there's so much popular support to obviously shore up each country's interests and things like that. It's uh, it'd be interesting to see it play out. Well, I mean, if you were, if you pick a country and you say the country is like this, but you only pick a moment in time, it doesn't necessarily reflect how that country or that culture is. It's mm-hmm. just how it was in that moment in time. So, yeah, we're we're off the topic of outsourcing, but it, it's it's interesting, it's fascinating. And, and Derek, I hope the audience has had a bit of fun listening to this uh, completely unscripted back and forth. Um, and yeah, no, it's valuable because it, it's all it is all outsourcing basically. Well, it's it's not it's it's all about the global kind of imperative, which I think outsourcing is um, is resting on. So very very yeah. very informative. Thank you so much. Of course, I encourage everyone to to reach out if you want a conversation similar to this, maybe a little bit more focused on your business needs and outsourcing, but. Um, you know, I always encourage people to reach out, to have that phone call and to see how offshoring can um, impact or change or transform or uh, your own business and your own situation. So 
um, invaluable for businesses to explore this. Chris, if anyone wants to reach out or learn more, or how can they do that? The best would be through a website. We have a number of contact points there, boothandpartners.com. Um, you can find us through the outsourceaccelerator.com website, of course, as well. Um, and thanks, Derek, for your time. Really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. And kudos to you and the team that you've built. Really proud of everything that you're achieving. Chris, thank you so much. That was Chris Mueller. He's the head of sales at Booth and Partners. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to email us, just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.